Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. about you, but I remember when I was a kid, I would say, I'm not going to be like my mom and dad. Sorry. Turns out I'm exactly like them. Particularly, the, the part that really drove it home for me was the cliche phrases that I often say. The things that I said, I'm never going to tell my kid that, and now I'm telling my kid that. Like this, you'll spoil your dinner. Okay, that's a very common one. Because I said so, That's probably the most important one I've heard. Uh, As long as you live under my roof. I'm giving you an insight into how I was as a child by some of these cliches. Um, But perhaps the one that bothered me the most, a failure to plan on my part does not constitute a crisis on mine, or a failure to plan on your part does not constitute a crisis on my part. Taking the help of a parent for granted. Hey, Dad, I need to go someplace, and I needed to be there five minutes ago. Can you drop everything you're doing and drive me there? Failure to plan does not constitute an emergency on my part. What they were teaching me is that there were consequences to my bad choices, that if I were not going to plan appropriately, if I were not going to take the proper actions and prepare, then there shouldn't be uh, this expectation that I'm going to be saved, that I'm going to be helped, that there's going to be necessarily grace. You know, we all have had crises and consequences in our lives, and sometimes they come out of nowhere. Sometimes they're consequences related to bad choices that we made. Sometimes they're crises that we have no idea how they happened or where they came from. We absolutely were caught off guard and unexpected. But many of our struggles in dealing with these events is a tendency of ours to call everything a crisis and nothing a consequence. It's part of our human nature to say if something bad is happening to us, it must be something out there affecting me instead of something in here impacting my life out there. You know, it turns out that each of us still might have a little bit of teenager in us after all. Crises and consequences are not the same. And we must be able to distinguish between them. Otherwise, we end up dealing with them in an incorrect manner. And we miss the tremendous lessons and spurn God's grace. This morning, when I speak of consequences here, I'm not speaking necessarily, uh, I'm speaking of negative effects stemming from sinful causes, not necessarily any consequence. Because we know there can be good consequences from our actions. We can plan appropriately, we can act and behave wisely, we can live according to God's will, and we can expect positive consequences as a result. But today I want to talk about the negative consequences that we experience in our life from disobedience. You know, a little Mother's Day message about sin. This is important. But this is important. 
Because the solutions we approach our crises and consequences in our lives are dependent on the cause. Today we're in Judges 6. We're starting right at the very beginning of our account of Gideon in chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, At the outset, it's important for us to know that this story of Gideon, as we're going to read, it's of Gideon conquering the Midianites in the name of the Lord to retake Israel. So we might be tempted to see this as sort of a pattern or sort of a lesson for us on how do we recapture a culture that's gone wrong? Or how do we retake a nation that's being bombarded from enemies from without or enemies from within? But if you think that, you're going to miss the point. Ultimately, we're going to see here is that the cause of the Israelites' plight, the cause of the, of the, Midi, or the, the Midianites invading Israel was Israel's disobedience, was Israel's sin. And so for the duration of this series, I want us to really focus on what are the idols and sins in our own hearts and in our own lives? The consequences that we're reaping, the things that we're seeing in society, in our relationships, in our own lives, how are they being, uh, how are they stemmed from or stemming from the choices that we're making? Often the sinful choices, often the unwise choices, the choices we've been warned against. And as we look at this, we'll see that this is not at all about the Midianites. This is about Israel. And by extension, this is about us. We recall last week we talked about the cycle of sin in the nation of Israel. We saw that Israel would have periods of obedience. They would cry out to, or they would begin disobediently living, worshiping the gods of Canaan. They would, God would send invaders in. They would be oppressed. They would cry out to God. God would raise up a judge, a savior for them. They'd have a period of obedience, and then the whole cycle would start again. But we need to see how this plays in our own life. And this passage is going to teach us four important things. The first thing is that consequences, as I've already mentioned, are the result of disobedience. Consequences are the result of disobedience. Verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hand of the Midianites. The cause and effect here is, is unmistakable. Because Israel disobeyed the covenant with God, because Israel chose to do whatever they wanted and live in a way that they thought was right regardless of what God had said, they were given into the hands. That's a very active move by God. It does not say God allowed them to be taken by the Midianites. It doesn't doesn't say God withdrew his blessing and the result was a Midianite invasion. It's very active. God gives them over to the hand of the Midianites. A crisis in our life, we've all had them. They're unavoidable. We don't see them coming, and they happen irrespective of our obedience. In fact, for those of us who have walked with the Lord, for those of you who have walked with the Lord for a long time, you know that crises often happen to the very most faithful believers. Oftentimes, it seems to me that it's the ones who are the most faithful that often invite the biggest crises because they show God's grace. They are faithful in living out the truth and being obedient to God, even in the face of the most tremendous circumstances. Crises are the result of sin in the world generally. Catastrophes happen. Bad things happen. The other day, a tree, I was telling you, a tree fell off, or a branch fell off of a tree in our house, hit my car. Not my fault. Simple crisis. Simple something that happened as a result of the world and the way it is. Crises can happen as a result of the bad choices of others. I think 
probably is a pretty good indication that I, myself, have put lots of people in crisis over the years. And so have you. Through your sinful behaviors, and through your bad choices. Crises can even be sent by God to grow us and to conform us into the image of Christ. You know, I often say is that no one gets saved on the day they win the lottery. Nobody comes to the Lord in repentance and faith and trust when everything is good. It's only when things are really bad in our lives, when we are crying out for help and repentance, when we're asking God, Lord, how is this for me? What lesson is this for me? That we're able to grow through it. God makes us more like Jesus in the process. But consequences. Those are the negative effects of our sinful choices. Just as there are natural laws in the world of cause and effect. For instance, if I walk up to a hot stove, I put my hand on it, I'm going to get burnt. It's a natural cause and effect. Just as there are cause and effects in the natural world, there's cause and effects in the moral world. In the moral conception of the world, as God delineates what is right and wrong, when we choose to go our own way in sin, there are consequences. Those are consequences. And they come in many forms. We know that there can be physical consequences. Living a rough life or making a bad decision often has impact on our bodies. The way that we interact with others, relational consequences. When I act sinfully towards somebody in whom I'm, with whom I'm in a relationship, it dissolves and there's problems. Financial consequences or emotional consequences. It's really interesting about emotional consequences. Sometimes we make bad decisions and we're hoping that we're still going to feel good about ourselves. But we act sinfully. We go our own way. We try to fix, manage, and control or manhandle our circumstances in our lives or the people around us, and we wonder why we don't feel great. So, of course, most of us or many of us look for some other thing in order to make ourselves feel better. So there can be relational consequences. We need to be aware of this. Because addressing consequences in our life as crises will assign them incorrect meaning. We won't get the message. And we'll attempt to address them with inappropriate means. For instance, we'll cry out to ha- for help for the wrong people. We won't see that what we're doing or what is happening to us is the result of something we've chosen. So we cry out for help in other areas, often trying to block that out of our mind that it's actually us who got us in this position. That what we're suffering or experiencing is on us. We might work harder to manage consequences instead of looking at the first causes. I've created a situation in my life. Now I'm having negative consequences, so I'm going to work my way out of it. Never seeing that there's a core issue, a cause, that's making it all happen. Perhaps most dangerously, and it really relates to this passage, is we will view ourselves as victims victims, instead of those reaping the natural and often foreseeable consequences of our own actions. It's an important piece. I have friends that I talk to who are not necessarily believers. They have a conception of God, but they say things like, why is God punishing me like this? It seems like God just has like his thunderbolts pointed right at me, and everything that can happen can happen is happening. But they can't see, and sometimes this happens to us too, we can't see that the consequences in our lives are stemming from our disobedience, are stemming from our bad choices, are stemming from our departing from God's will in any area of our life. So ask yourself, 
when you're struggling in a crisis, maybe you're in a crisis now, is this really a crisis? Or is this a consequence? Am I experiencing this as a result of a sinful decision? Work your way back through the steps. How did I get here? That's a question I often ask myself. How did I get here? And see, where could I have acted differently? Where did I depart from God's will? There was some point that I made a choice. Fork in the road. That to go God's way led to an unknown. And to go my way led to something that I thought I could foresee. But now here I am where I am. Where is it that I could have acted or chosen differently? This question requires thoughtful prayer. Blatant honesty. I say the phrase all the time, but naked honest. It's useful. It means you are hiding nothing. It means that you are so open and honest, it's embarrassing and vulnerable. It's to this degree that we must be honest with ourselves and honest with God. I mean, in the end, he already knows, doesn't he? There's something about that confession in our heart and saying, God, this is me. This is what's going on. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. And being willing to go where the truth leads. And it requires an absolute refusal, refusal to justify yourself. It's so easy to find excuses. Well, if they had done this, I wouldn't have done that. If my situation were different, or if God had, we sometimes will blame God. Lord, if you had blessed me differently, I wouldn't be forced to look over here for what I think I need. Sometimes the distance between the consequence and the disobedience is far removed. It might be years or decades. And we think, well, I just got to reap the consequences of my actions and deal with it. There is a better way. There is a way that we can address these areas in our lives, and it's not just by making do, it's by going to the source, the core of our heart, and bringing it to God. You know, we always have some part in the situations that we're in that we can claim as our own, that we can say, this part is mine. That's something I've learned. I don't know about you. I've been in lots of interactions with people. I've been in lots of situations where things weren't going the way that I had hoped. And as I go back over my life, as I take an inventory and see How did I act? What caused me to act that way? What part of this situation can I have? I hate it. There's always a part that I can own. Oftentimes it's not the situation, but it's the way I handle it that is my part of the equation. Second thing. Consequences affect God's blessings. Consequences affect God's blessings. Often crises do not. Consequences affect the way that God lavishes his grace upon us. Verse 2, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts and caves and strongholds. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine like being so inundated by an enemy that we're like searching out, like we're living in the forest preserve? Well, hello, this like happens all the time to believers around the world and in Israel. The Midianites and the eastern people, the Amalekites, invade Israel to such a degree that they run for the hills. Verse 3, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded their country. The Amalekites live south of Israel, near Judah, in the desert country, down in the south. The Midianites lived even further south. They lived right along the shore, the coast of the Red Sea. And then 
The Eastern people were people who came out of what's present-day uh, Jordan. They were more nomadic people. They went wherever there was resources. What it shows is, is that all three were invading the nation of Israel at this time. It doesn't say that they had some sort of alliance or treaty. It doesn't seem like they had even a coordinated attack. But Israel's disobedience left her vulnerable to attack on every front. Same thing with our lives. When we live in disobedience to the Lord, we open ourselves up to all sorts of consequences, and often the consequence is not related exactly to the way that we're being disobedient. God has given us a set of instructions. I was thinking about it. It's kind of corny, but you know B-I-B-L-E. What does it stand for? B-I-B-L-E. Someone's got to know this. Michael, he knew it. Basic instructions before leaving earth. Basic instructions before leaving earth. When we depart from those instructions, when we depart from God's best for us, it leaves us open to invasion. It leaves us open to oppression. Israel's disobedience was the cause of these invasions. And disobedience in one area marks us or susceptible to consequences in others. It's an important point. Verse 4, look at this. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. Gaza's on the west side of Israel near the Mediterranean Sea. The point is, is the whole land is overrun. The whole land. And did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. These, by the way, are all the blessings that God gave to the Israelites when they entered the promised land. They came up with their livestock and their tents. They're like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Ravage it. Everything that God had sent to Israel, everything that God had blessed Israel with was now being consumed and in the cause was not the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the Eastern people. The cause was Israel's disobedience. This is a point that we cannot cannot overstate. Sometimes in our lives, we're seeing things dwindle, resources, blessings by God, and we wonder what's happening. When the truth is, is that we are often living in ways that do not align with God's will. Basically, we want our cake and we want to eat it too. We want all of the blessing that God has in being a Christian, but we don't want any of the hassle or the pain or the struggle of dying to ourselves and being obedient to God. This is a scene of desperation. It's catastrophic. But the Midianites were not the issue, and the Midianites were simply God's instrument to bring Israel to a place of coming back to the Lord. And also, it's not a surprise. It's not a surprise. In Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, God promises Israel that if they're obedient to the covenant that he gave at Sinai, they could expect all of the blessing of Canaan. They would walk into a land not their own. They would live in houses they didn't build. They'd grow in fields they didn't plant or sow. They would they'd experience extreme peace from the surrounding nations as they trusted God, as they lived according to his covenant. Yet when they got into the land, they chose to depart. And God's promise for that was if you depart, invaders will come. Your crops will dry up. There'll be no rain. You'll have no children. There were all of these sort of growth and, or, you know, if you, if you live according to my covenant, I'll grow you in every sense of the word. But if you depart, you'll shrink as a result. And what we're seeing here is the exact manifestation, the actualization of what God promised in those two places, Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 
28. God also promised that if they repented, he would restore everything that was taken. It's easy to read the book of Judges, I think, only as a record of Israel's sinfulness. We look at the cycle and we say, Israel sinned again and again and again. And we look at ourselves and we say, well, we sin again and again and again. But I think we do ourselves an injustice and really we rob God of some of his glory when we don't also recognize that the book of Judges in that cycle represents God's faithfulness. That despite their obedience or disobedience, that despite their continual desire to depart and to do what they wanted to do, it was right in their own eyes, they trusted God, they called out to God, and God responded. God answered. And God wants to answer you. Maybe you're living in a place of disobedience today. Maybe you're living amid a consequence. And the blessings that you once had and experienced in your walk have dwindled. I want you to know that God is calling you home. That God desires that you repent today. He desires that you call upon him and that you ask him to forgive you and to restore those things which he took. Because you're not taking them as a punishment. He's taking them as discipline. We'll talk about that. He wants you to come home. Israel saw the evaporation of God's blessing as their primary issue. But their primary issue was the evaporation of their obedience to the blesser. God wanted to bless them. They departed. He withdrew his blessing. Consequences are intended to bring us to a place of repentance and knowledge of God. It's interesting. I was thinking about this and wrestling with this idea. So if the Bible teaches that as believers, that there's no longer punishment placed upon us because all of our punishment was placed on Christ at the cross. Now, all we experience is discipline. When we choose to go our own way, God, being the good Father that He is, desires us to walk according to His will for our own good and for His glory, and so He sends discipline. For us, there's a and a redemptive sort of tone to the way that God disciplines us. But for the unbeliever, it seems, if there's no sense of that discipline, that unbelievers feel the punishment of God. They're still under the judgment of God. That gives me pause. I think in any sense, certainly, there's sort of this self-imposed judgment, isn't there? I mean, the refusal to obey God results in painful consequences that, this is the worst part, have zero redemptive value. At least our pain serves to do something. When we're disobedient and God spanks us, there's a reason. When an unbeliever departs and God spanks them, there's no meaning. It's simply self-imposed punishment. All discipline is good. God disciplines his children to bring them to a place of willingness and repentance. He desires to restore a strained relationship. For the child of God, the blessing changes. This is another aspect of how it affects the blessing of God. I think before we're saved, let me say it this way. While we're walking in accordance to God's will, God blesses us with all sorts of things. We feel great feelings. We have emotional blessing. We might have financial blessing or physical blessing. We might be living in a place that is right in the line with the way God made us. And there's a certain joy that comes with that. 
When we depart and we choose to go our own way and live in disobedience or in accordance to our own will, self-will instead of God's will, God withdraws some of those blessings, but it doesn't mean that he stopped blessing us. Now the blessing God sends us is discipline. Is discipline. In my life, it's hard for me to remember that. That where I'm having struggles and I know it's because I'm wanting to do what I want. I know it's because I'm wanting to go my own way. I'm wanting to do what I think is best and how to fix, manage, and control. I use that triad a lot because it resonates with me and I think it does with you. We seek to fix, manage, and control our situation in our own way instead of turning it over to God. Those feelings that I have are really God's blessing upon me, moving me and desiring me to come back to Him, to look to Him as the source of my salvation instead of trying to get it through my own means. So we need to embrace God's discipline. We need to feel the pain of our choices. I tell the boys and everyone else, take your medicine. Take your medicine. You make a bad choice and there's a consequence or discipline comes from it, take your medicine. You feel the pain of it. If you try to shirk it and do something else with doubling down in disobedience, you miss the redemptive value. You miss the change that God is seeking to create in your heart. And you dodge what God is really trying to do. Make you more like his son. Let it bring you to a place of repentance. Look at verse 6. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. This is not what the Israelites did, crying out in repentance. They cried out for help. It says Midian so impoverished them. In other words, it was only until it was bad, bad that they called upon God. Prayer for them was a last resort. As long as they had some resources left, as long as they could still thresh some grain, hide in the cave, everything was okay. They didn't call out to God, even though they just lost their homes or fields, their livestock, all of the blessing that they had. Last resort. Shows the heart of Israel. But it really shows the heart of us as well. I want to get to a place in my own life. It's my prayer for you guys that you guys get to a place that your first resort, prayer, no matter what. That's the go-to. That is exactly the first step in anything that we do. We ask for the Lord's blessing. We ask for the Lord's intervention. We repent of those things that we're doing instead of holding on and waiting till the end, waiting till we can no longer deal with it for ourselves. When they do cry out, they cry out for help. They cry out for help. But three, the consequences call, consequences call for repentance. This is perhaps the greatest lesson from today's passage. Think of it this way. Crisis is how I wrote it. Crisis equals cry for help. Consequences equal cry for repentance. When we're dealing with a consequence in our life, when we're dealing with a situation that, you know, like we got, what did we get ourselves into? We made a bad choice. We departed. Our answer is not to call God and say, Lord, I need help. It's Lord, I'm sorry. It's Lord, I confess. It's, Lord, I realize that I've lived apart from your will in this area. Lord, I realize that I sought to self-will this here instead of going according to your will and doing what you have asked me to do for my own good. We cry out in repentance. The thing about us, like the Israelites, man, we are good fakers. We are good fakers. We will cry out to God in repentance because We think it will get what we want, but we're not really sorry. Here, take a look at this. No. No. 
There was another video that I was going to pick too where a, a baby's holding a cell phone. She, she's looking at the cell phone and her dad says, okay, let me see it. I need to do it. And she immediately starts crying. The most horrific, you know, like when a baby bumps its head that like you, you don't hear them crying for a second, but you know they're crying. And then it was like that. And the second he gave that phone back, that kid was like back to normal. Like there was no issue. It's like a little Israelite. That's us. We do that. We get something taken away that we really love. We cry out to God in our repentance. We get it back and we go exactly back to what we were doing before. This sounds like a simple thing I'm about to say. And saying it to me as much as, don't do that. We shouldn't do that. When we're stuck in a consequence of our actions and our call is for repentance, we should seek the Lord's grace. Lord, make it real to me. Lord, I confess. Lord, I submit. Lord, I humbly come before you. You're right. I'm wrong. I get the message. I'll try to change in your power. A cry for help says, I'm helpless. I'm being oppressed. It's not my fault. I'm the victim. Something good from me has been taken. Not, Lord, I've dishonored you. We often leave the most important requirement out of our attempts at addressing the consequences in our lives. We place, like I think about situations that we're in where it may be in a habitual sin or we continue to act a certain way, or whatever. So what we do is we do things like we place obstacles in our path. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this piece out of my life to make it that much harder to do what it is that I really want to do. We place obstacles. We make commitments. I will never do that again. We, some places, even sign pledges. I'll sign a pledge to never do this again. I'll covenant between myself and God, or the men or women around me. We look for support. We ask for others to walk the walk with us. We consider the consequences. We play the tape through. But in the end, if we fail to admit that the cause of our consequences, our sinful desire to live according to our own will instead of according to God's, we've missed the point. We will strive and fail. We will try to work our way out into a place of the promised land instead of simply confessing to the Lord that we're oppressed as a result of our choices and allowing him to drive the so-called Midianites out of our hearts. We need to see, first and foremost, that what we do is a sin against God. The consequences that come as a result of our disobedience are intended to be a big red flag to that in our lives. I'm in a bad place because I made a bad decision. The first thing we do is not get out of the decision. It's confess. It's confess. And the Lord is good. He's given us so many examples of this. We need to, you know, I think about the Bible. There's so many, We need to like pull weeds at its root. That teaches us that, right? We need to treat the disease and not just symptoms. It's another thing we see. We need to sort of address the sin behind the sin. When facing consequences, consider how they might change you. Ask yourself, where am I out of step with the Spirit of God? What do I need to confess? What is the lesson here? Like, what, Lord, what is it that you're trying to teach me and how do you want me to be different? This is especially important in parenting as well. When children are struggling, we need to ask ourselves, are they struggling because of consequences of their actions or because they're in actual crisis? This is like a perpetual gray area. So the fact that, who was that? Joshua, right, over here? Who's, who's the one speaking? Nathan. 
that Nathan prayed and said that, Lord, we need your help to parent, for our parents to parent us was like the understatement of the year. Okay. This is like the hardest thing for us to do as parents is to know where we're enabling them and where we're not. Certainly this idea extends to all of our friends and the people that we know in our lives, but ultimately our kids. How do we know where we're enabling and where we're not? A crisis calls for help. If they're in crisis, we help. If they're in consequence, we let them feel the pain. If we short-circuit the pain caused by their consequence, we end up robbing God of what he's trying to do in the life of that child. This calls for wisdom because the balance between enablement and empowerment is very subtle sometimes. Often our helping can hurt the ones we love. I've heard it said before, we can even love them to death. I once got a phone call from somebody who said, uh, my kid's a heroin addict. I don't know what to do. This is a call I get frequently. And I said, well, you tell me a little bit about the situation. Well, they, they're living in my basement. And I said, they're still using? Yeah. In your basement? Yeah. Why? Because I'd rather them not die out in the streets. I said, would you rather them die in your basement? I can't do that. I can't kick them out. Well, you're enabling them in multiple ways. Well, what else? Do you do their laundry? Yeah, I do their laundry. You're freeing up time for them to continue to be disobedient to God. You're cooking them food, yeah. This person even was bringing the person down to the city to buy drugs. All out of the name of love. This might be an extreme example, but I think if we look at our own lives and the way we interact with our kids, even our loved ones, we'll see that this is a subtle thing that, that we all have to deal with. How is it that I can love my child even when loving them hurts them more than they can know because God is working in their heart? God is seeking to teach them something. Sometimes it's our loved one's darkest moments that we can show the greatest love by not fixing it. By not fixing it. And allowing the pain of those consequences to really, really hit home. It's so hard. There's support groups for this. So people can go in and say, I know this is what I'm supposed to do, but I'm afraid to do it because it's really going to hurt them. And then everyone else in the group says, you got this. You can do it. Remember, that because it is something, it's an obstacle we all need to overcome. It's something that we really struggle with as parents. And I think that um, it's important. Thanks be to God, though, that in this whole situation, he's not left us to figure this out completely on our own. God has given us a heads up on how to avoid consequences before they get out of hand and how to give them meaning afterwards. The fourth point, consequences come with a warning. Consequences come with a warning. Verse 7, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. Probably not what they were hoping for. Lord, save us. He sends a prophet to tell them how messed up they are. That is probably not what they had in mind, but it's interesting in that in their hour of need, the first thing that God did was preach them a sermon. Just preach them a sermon. God ensured that their physical needs were linked to their spiritual ones. And sometimes when you're crying out for help, the Lord answers in ways that we are not expecting. Maybe you're here today. Maybe there's something you're hearing today that you never would have heard or weren't going to hear. What, like right now, God could be speaking to you about us. I'm hoping, that's my prayer that you are applying what we're talking about today to a very specific issue in your life. And that God is speaking to you, warning you about what will happen or what has already happened, trying to give it meaning. This is what the prophet says. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Verse 8. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. 
I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. And I delivered you out of the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. He's reminding them of all of the grace that he's given them. Verse 10. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites. The Amorites were the people of Canaan in the promised land. In whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. They had one job. They had one job. Their only job entering the promised land was to obey God. That's it. And the truth is, in this life, that is our only job. Obey God. If they did, they would reap the benefits of God's grace. They'd been warned. I kind of see this prophet as doing like the most, <laughs> the most ultimate, I told you so. But God does this. God in this prophecy, he warns us beforehand. If you do this, this is going to happen. And then after it happens, he goes, I told you. Because he wants us to learn the consequences. He wants us to learn the effects of the sinful causes in our life. We're quick forgetters and we're even slower learners. We need to be reminded often. I find it interesting that the Hebrew word for listen is the same word for obey. There's a, it's the word shema. It's a very, in fact, that is the name of a very you know, traditional Jewish um, liturgy. There's an implication that if you've truly heard what God says, you've obeyed it. If you've not obeyed it, you have not heard him. If you're disobedient, you need to hear it again, and God is faithful to you. We need to hear the word of God again and again before we make decisions that will lead to consequences. And afterwards, we need to look at the word of God to drive home, how did we do? What could we have done differently? We need prophets in our lives, each of us. We've been blessed with one another to speak truth when we hear it's hard to see it for ourselves. Maybe especially when we don't want to hear it. We need to let those people who are speaking truth to us speak it to us. It's an act of love from God and from them. We want to look at it often as a sense of judgmentalness or this criticism. And it's hard. I'm the first to admit it. But I think that there's tremendous value in God sends these people in our lives as blessings. And we need to receive what it is that they've said is from the Lord. The prophets in our lives are gifts of God's grace and mercy, not judgment and scorn, for God desires to spare us from the consequences of our sin. Let me just say this. For those of us who are called to prophesy over others, some of us have the gift of prophecy. And so we step out. Let's say we wield that gift with great zeal because we want to declare the truth and the word of God over everyone's life. We sometimes miss the heart because we're too busy speaking the truth. You're pronouncing God's blessings and not your own. You're speaking God's words and not your own. You're declaring God's judgments and not your own. Sometimes people can be guilty of the sin of judgmentalness and call it the spiritual gift of prophecy, saying, I'm just being honest. We need to learn to receive those words, and at the same time, we need to learn to be cautious in giving them when we're called to do so. You know, there's a Dutch proverb that translated into English says that we grow too soon old and too late smart. It's also in German. Actually, I have it in my basement in the house I grew up in on a little plaque on the wall. And it's in English, but instead of the word old, it's the word alt. And instead of the word smart, it's the word schmart. So it's like a German-English sort of thing. We take a long time to figure things out. And sometimes it's too late before we finally get it. 
you know, but may we learn these lessons soon. May we jump into our lives looking at the consequences and things that are going on and asking ourselves, did I do this? Is my disobedience what caused this? And to cry out in repentance and to look to God. Before we waste our life suffering consequences, asking ourselves, why does this always happen to me? Let us look at our lives as the source of our crises. Let us look honestly and without justification or excuses where we find sin. Repent of it. Learn from our mistakes. And never confuse crises with consequences. Consequences are the result of disobedience. Consequences affect God's blessing. Consequences call for repentance. Consequences come with a warning. Let's heed it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us, your great love for us, love we don't understand. We pray, Lord, as we allow your words to sink into our hearts and to speak to us through your spirit, Lord, that we would be fearless and honest and open-minded, Lord, about the way that we are living, the consequences that we are suffering, the crises in our lives, Lord. Help us look to and ask, Lord, tell us the truth. Are we doing this? And where we are, Lord, give us the grace to repent. Help us, Lord, to see our lives through your eyes, not our own. Help us, Lord, to do what you want and not our own will. And Lord, help us trust you with the consequences. Trust you with the results. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.